Hey, this is Ryan Fitzpatrick, and you are listening to the EA Podcast with Eric Allen. Take it away, EA. All right, the Jets have entered their bye week, but I got my buddy Bart Scott in the studio. We don't take a bye here, even though I'm fighting off something. I don't know if I got a virus, an infection, a sinus infection, so you're going to have to bear with me at home, and maybe you're going to have to carry me here. Listen, man, I told you footprints. Man. Okay, when footprints. One, when there's only one set of, uh, of footprints in the sand, it's then that I carried you, EA. Okay, man, backer. Saturday night, you were at MSG. People are walking by you in the hallways here at One Jets Drive and saying, yeah, I saw you. Apparently, the UFC event. For the first time, New York City at the world's most famous arena. And in That Bar- sounds like a commercial right there. <laughs> <laughs> and Bart Scott was in the house to watch... The notorious one, Conor McGregor. Yeah, it was, it was it was a mismatch though. You know, he was a lot taller, naturally taller and bigger than than the kid. I think Alvarez is his name. Um, but he put on a great show. He's a great personality um, for the first time ever in New York. You know, I didn't think it di- it didn't disappoint. Um, but next time, I think they're going to have to have a, a more exciting uh, contest. You know, the thing is about those fights; they're so short. Um, that sometimes a fan can leave with a dissatisfied taste in their mouth. You kind of want to see some blood and guts. Um, but it was it was a good show. You know, um, and I think, you know, what I didn't like about it is that it was so late. I mean, I walked out of that stadium at 2 o'clock. I mean, like, come on now, 2 o'clock, it's, time, it's night-night time. Are, are you walking down the street to your hotel at that time, or you got car service waiting for you at the door? No, no, no. Well, you know, I'm, you know I, I don't mind being amongst the peeps. You know, I went out <laughs> and I Ubered home. You know, oh, you Ubered home, huh? I went out, I, walk, I walk, came out of the 7th, 7th Avenue, um, then I walked down to, to 8th. You know, me and the wifey went, you know, get her out the crib. You know, sure, something different, you know, having some fun, the mini date night. We what does the missus think about uh, Ultimate Fighting? She enjoy it or she's... Um, she, she, she's cool with combat. You know, sometimes, you know, you know, it's a lot of blood in there. You catch, catch them by the elbow, it's a lot of blood everywhere. But she didn't mind. You know, I mean, she's from the streets of Detroit. She got a little gold goblin <laughs> in her, too. So the arena, what's a UFC crowd like? Is it any different than, like, a boxing crowd? The it's la- different. It's more like soccer. It's more like soccer. You know, it's, you, it's a different crowd as well. You know, a lot of people that's attracted to UFC may not particularly be, you know, the boxing fan. You right. know, the boxing fan is a little bit more of a casual fan a lot of times. You know, they want to be part of the moment. You know, I, like UFC is like a, I don't want to say coat following because that's a bad word, but I want, I want to say it's more like a, like Red Bulls crowd. It's a different, different demographic. Yeah. You know what I mean? They, they go hard. And a lot of these fighters in the UFC are from different countries, you know, so you get that element as well. You get the soccer-like environment, you know, a lot of energy there, you know, a lot of chanting, a lot of, you know, coaches from the sideline. I found myself, you know, spitting out advice from the crowd, too, because it kind of rubbed off on me. Yeah, and I kind of telling the guy he was circling to the wrong side. Oh, yeah, you got into it, huh? And my wife was like, listen, Bart. So, <laughs> but she was like, didn't you hate when people scream, fans scream stuff to you from the stands? Like, you're, you're that guy right now. I say, you know what? You're right. Let so, me shut up. Yeah, well. Just yeah. like a wife. I always put you back in your space. N- now, you said the chants. They sing songs. Is it yeah, like ole, a, a, ole, 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 yeah? ole. Some of that going on? And then, on? you know, remember, like, when Ricky Hatton used to come on and he said, hey, Ricky Hatton. So they got, like, they got their little set chants. You know, these guys, you know. Were there a lot fans, of people from Ireland there, you think, with McGregor it wasn't, it, it wasn't as many as I thought. 
Yeah. It wasn't as many as I thought. You know, I thought it was going to be like Ricky Hatton when he used to come over. You know, you have like, you know, sometimes some of the Mexican fighters come over. You have a huge right. following. People yeah. come and get on a plane, especially from New York. You would think because it's close, you know. Yeah, you from know, Dublin to here, maybe six, six and a half yeah, or something and then, like that. Yeah, and then it's an international airport. It seemed like it would have been easier. But, you know, maybe they, they're waiting for something greater, too. Now, Conor McGregor, he is a, a master marketer. Yeah. Uh, do you think that is something, because you brought a lot of personality to the game when you wanted to bring the juice, you yeah. brought the juice yourself. Do you think that is something you are born with, or is that something that a guy like that grows up in Ireland, he becomes a fighter, and then he sees a way and says, I can be a professional fighter, but I also know I can make it really big by making this persona. Do yeah. you think that part of that is who he is, or is that all him? Well, it has to be part of who you are to be willing to step out there and take that risk, you know, because what happens is you're going to be loved and hated at the same time. You know, you're going to be loved by the people that support you, especially if you can back it up, you give them more fuel and more ammo to kind of support you in, in, in what you say, but then you're going to be hated by some that w- want you to have some humble pie and want you to be modest and things like that. It's a lot harder to step out there because when you step out there, everybody's waiting for you, hoping that you get knocked out, and they're waiting for that day-to-day of your demise. You know, so it's harder because you're going to get the best because you're hated by the opponent as well. But also, like I said, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. If you're able to be successful with doing that, it's a lot of money involved in it, and that's how you, you know, build up a fan base. Whether they love you or hate you, they're going to follow you. Do you have a sense of how much of that is character, how much of that is showman from him? Because I'm sure you don't know well, him on well, a personal well, level. But. Well, we've seen that with Dion, right? Dion yeah. created prime time because it was something to sell. You see Dennis Rodman, he was a master marketer of himself. But sometimes you can, you know, you have to produce. And we've seen guys that try to come out and be personalities that failed because they weren't able to put up the, the numbers. They weren't able to be successful. You know, I see right now a guy in the crossroads is trying to be that massive marketer um, that has had some setbacks in his life is, is Adrian Broner. You, huh. know, you see a guy yeah. that's trying to take a page out of the Floyd Mayweather playbook. But, you know, what made Floyd Mayweather loved and hated and also, you know, a, a, a great draw whenever it came to an event was the fact that no matter how much you hated him, he still won. You know, and, and people still wanted to come up because they wanted to say they were there the day he got his big mouth shut. How big do you think he is, McGregor, as far as in the, on the national scene here in the United States? He's the big, I think he's the biggest thing in USC right now. Um, him and Ronda Rousey, you know, you never know, like, why was Tebow, you know, arguably the biggest star in the NFL without yeah. having a lot of production? Well, obviously one of the biggest, you know, you never know what fans are going to gravitate to, what people are going to see. I think, you know, in certain aspects, people, when they look at those guys, they see themselves, you know what I mean, or they see how they would be if they were in that position. They see their bravado, how they would respond. So I think that a lot of times that's when people start following guys like Connor. But But is he, like, a transcendent star already? Like... On a, on a level, he can't be on a you, level. You say, of a, you're saying crossover sports, yeah. And stuff like that. He's not I on a he, level he, like a LeBron James or he's yeah. starting where Ronda Rousey is, right? Because yeah, we see her in movies. We, right. She's one of the highest paid athletes. You know, her fights are sold out even more than men and things like that. But then when she got knocked out, you know, you know, I think that set her back. But she went and shot a movie. I think she was in Bond or something like that. She was in some movie I forgot I saw. But she made a step to the big stage, and that's what you see. You want to see the people. That that's able to transcend. You look at Rihanna. She was, she was in the Entourage movie as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you see like Rihanna, you know, people that cross over to different markets, different genres. Um, and I think she's that. I think he's on the cusp of being that. He has to make sure they stay clean and not get knocked out. I think before that, a guy who was kind of crossing over 
where people were paying attention to other sports was uh, Bone Jones. You know, but he's had so many personal setbacks yeah. that he's not able to take that next step because marketers don't trust him. So they're not going to give him their products to trust. You're not going to see him with a watch company. You're not going to see him with a skin line. You're not going to see him out in commercials because they can't trust him. You said Hugh Jackman was at the fight the other night. Yeah, yeah, Wolverine was at the at the uh, at the event. I saw Beckham. I think Beckham was backstage with McGregor. You know, I think Beckham's one of those guys that's kind of trying to make that transition over. To 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 um, Beckham's got to be a smaller guy, right? He played soccer. Isn't yeah, but yeah, but Beckham was a lot bigger than McGregor. Oh, really? Yeah, he's probably like they don't realize these people don't realize how big these guys. Yeah, are. Yeah, McGregor's tiny, man. Yeah, like he probably got baby fists, junior whopper hands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a little dude. Uh, but five nine. But yeah, I'll tell you what, Hugh Jackman's a big dude. He's so, well over six foot. Is he? Yeah, yeah. He, he gets jacked up on Mountain Dew whenever he's playing his uh, his uh, Wolverine role too. I wonder what kind of special diet they you take. Got, you got to respect that. He yeah, gets yeah, in I the do. weight room. Yeah, what kind of special diet they take? Because <laughs> when you look at his other ones, he's flat. You yeah, know what I mean, I think they got secret sauce in. Um, you know, you look at the guy that um, did softball. You know what I mean? Oh, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, yeah, man. They 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 got a special shake for them. <laughs> we can't. We, us athletes can't take that shake. Uh, all right. That's Bart Scott here on the EA Podcast. Listen, um, did you practice you, uh, impersonations when you watch guys? You were such a mad wrestling fan growing up. So guys like uh, Hogan and Rowdy Piper and, you know, uh, Ultimate Warrior. Uh, I, remember, I remember I got my first whooping, right? I mean, I, not my first whooping. But I remember my mom was whooping me, and then I dipped into my Ultimate Warrior. Uh, on your voice, mom? On my mom. <laughs> what? What? How did that go? So she's whooping me, right? And I mean, what did you say? Whooping me? You mean what? With the belt? With the oh, belt? She yeah. did. So yeah, your yeah, mom used to was, take the belt to you. Yeah, I was getting disciplined. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I said something like, "The powers I have inside. The only man that can hurt me is the one that created me. That's God Almighty, because I am the ultimate warrior." She said, "Oh." <laughs> You the ultimate warrior, huh? Well, take this ultimate warrior. She just gave you more. She just gave you more discipline. You really pulled an ultimate warrior on your mother while she was hitting you with a belt? Yeah, so it was a whooping. So I got a whooping and ultimate warrior got a whooping at the same time. When would you pull out a Hogan? When would you pull out a Hogan growing up? I mean, I used to just love it, man. Like, even though I fe- he fell off because I didn't, I didn't like the racist remarks he made. And he lo- and no, nobody liked he, that. He, he, became, you know, he lost me as a fan. But growing up, I mean, in the '80s, that was the biggest thing. Yeah, you know, it was Hulk Hogan. Um, you know, Jordan was coming into. You know, the '80s was kind of ruled by wrestling, especially the late. The I late love 80s. Roddy Piper. The beginning of WrestleManias. Well, you know, ding, ding. <laughs> the begin- Piper's Pit. Piper's Pit was classic. Yeah, the, man. the scene with him and Jimmy Superfly Snuka. Oh yeah! Oh my God! Broke the coconut on his head. Yes, it, Piper's Pit. Snuka was crazy. Uh, Piper's Pit was. Well, you know, brother, brother. You know, like, what are you saying? He had the most incoherent like yeah. interviews. Like, but he could splash, jump Z- off the top rope. Snuka was a monster. Super, super, super fly. He, I always wanted to be ripped up like him too. Like, so, so when you go like best bodies ever in wrestling, yeah. you put I put Snuka. I put Mr. Wonderful, Paul Orndorff, yep. Ravishing Rick Rude, because he had he had the skinniest torso, but he had like a twenty pack. <laughs> Ravishing Rick Rude, Lex Luthor, Lex Luthor was a monster the total dude. Total package. He Lex was probably like six eight. Yeah, and then for some reason, I think 
like um, Big Papa Pump got stuck with the um, special shake. Yeah. Because remember he was like, he was Rick Steiner, Rick and, and Scott Steiner. Yes. And they had the Michigan Jackets. He wasn't looking like, then he came back as Big Papa Puff, and he had a double muscle. Like, hold up, man. Yeah, not only a double muscle, then he was, uh, the veins were just yeah. everywhere. Everywhere. Big Papa Pump, man. Like, he was, he got that mutant DNA. No, uh, but listen, for me, it was always Piper. And I always rooted for the bad guys, kind of. Like, when Hogan was teaming up with Mr. T and stuff like that. Yeah, it was, it was, too I, corny. I, it was corny. You, you didn't like the corny stuff. No, I was rooting for Piper and that stuff. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, it, so. Tell me this. Who's your favorite tag team of all time? Favorite You from team. the 80s? Yeah, definitely. Then it could only be one. It could only be two. It was only two great well, tag teams okay, of all well, time. Well, Demolition is up there. No. No. Uh, uh, I'll tell you why. Okay, you're going to say British Bulldogs, right? Oh, see, that's another one, yeah. <laughs> British Bulldogs were nasty. Dangerous Dan, Spite Me, uh, uh, Dave, Dynamite Kid. Davey Boy and, Smith. Davey Boy Smith. The British Bulldogs were yep. pretty nasty. Um, it's a couple. You could go with the Rockers, Marty Jannetty, uh, Marty Jannetty, and, and Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels. So yeah, uh, you can go with Arn Anderson and Ole Anderson. Yeah. Well, but it was only one that was like above them all. I'm trying to think. Remember the Four Horsemen used to have a couple of tag teams in that. You, you, yeah, the Four. You well, got Terry Funk and uh, you know they had that that wrestler, but they they never stuck together. I'm talking about long long term uh, tag team fans. You can go with the Hart Foundation. They were great. Bret Hart. And, I always, uh, and, 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 uh, I always liked it when the Iron Sheik uh, tagged up with the... Uh, the, the, the my du- boy. No, 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 no. Nikolai Volkov. Nikolai Volkov. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he used to come in a classy Freddie Blassie. Yeah. And Slick used to well, be my well, favorite. You can go with... Uh, oh, Slick. Yeah, Slick was funny. Slick was one of my favorites. <laughs> but you can go... You can Like, who, who can you say... Um, Trying to think who uh, Jimmy Hart had. He had the Hart Foundation, and uh, uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan had a couple. But, you, but you, they they didn't stick together. But you, to me, it's only one. You got the British Bulldogs. That was fine. Yeah. You had the Rockers, Marty Jannetty, and that was fine. But to me, you talk about demolition. Yeah. You talk about Crush, uh, Axe, and Smash. Okay. Yeah. But no. who were they? They were a bootleg. What a rush. Who is this? The Legion of Doom. Oh, the LOD. Hawking Animal. <laughs> LOD. Yeah. They put you on, put you on the shoulders, close line off the top rope. Yeah. Hawking Animal. Come on, man. The, Legion. the number one of all time. All right. I'll give you that. You know, they, their fights. With the skyscrapers, yeah. Sid Vicious and Dangerous Dan Spidey was epic. You know what? I grew up in Buffalo, so on Saturday nights, I'd always watch CFTO, which was a station out of uh, Toronto. It, it, the Maple Leaf Gardens Wrestling, Saturday oh, nights. Saturday that's nights. That's when they do the region. And you know who used to fight all the time on this? This is a, a guy that nobody would even recognize, except maybe you. S.D. Jones, Special Delivery Jones. Yeah. He used to be the guy they bring. He's the lead guy. He bring in. No, he wasn't the lead guy, but he'd always be one of those. He'd be he'd be on the card and he'd always lose to like somebody big. You know, yeah. S.D. Jones. But, but, but he'll get him, get it, get him early on, and yeah. lose yeah. at the end. S.D. Jones. Well, we well you have to look at who was so every every wrestling uh, uh, network had their that guy. 
So for WWF, I don't say WWE, I mean WWE, yeah, WWF, now they call it WWE yeah. Entertainment. Yeah. But it used to be the Brooklyn Brawler. The Brooklyn Brawler. Coco Beware. Oh, Coco Beware. <laughs> Coco Beware always come out with his parrot and get jacked up, man. Uh, you know, one of my favorites, too, is I loved, uh, when I was a kid, I loved the Junkyard uh, Dog. JYD, man. Do you know his real name? No. Real name is Big. Well, well, his uh, his first wrestling name was Big Daddy Ritter. Really? Yeah, he was a defensive lineman for Green Bay. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he was a football player. JYD, he dun, was one of my dun, favorites. He dun. was a fan favorite. Because he's just a. All right, all right, He come in with the chains. And that's what you talk about. You you always want to talk about like the great personalities. Yeah. You know, I mean, you think about the guys who could sell stuff the best. You know, people like Hogan. You know, he wasn't my best interview. I think the Nature Boy was much better um, than than Hogan. And to me, my favorite interview of all time, the person that gave you the best stuff was the Macho Man. Like, you never know what he was hot. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, Elizabeth. That's Elizabeth. <laughs> well, you know me, Gene. We want to come down to it. You know, Macho Man, Randy Savage. Oh, yeah. We're going to come down. Oh, yeah. We're going to go down and we're going to get him down. We're going to bring him out, brother. Yeah. <laughs> Elizabeth. Get in my robe. And then me and Gene would give that look to the camera. Yeah. He just give that look to the camera <laughs> like, oh, God. Mean Gene should be in the Wrestling Hall of Fame, man. He's yeah. not? I, you know what? He may be, but I, I think he was the best. You know what I mean? People think Do you about, remember Monday? Oh, there was a, uh, there was a show on Monday night on the USA Network. It wasn't Monday Night Raw. It was, um, was it called Primetime Wrestling? It was Mean Gene Okerlund and Gorilla Monsoon. Oh, I do love you, Gorilla. Do you remember Every that? once in a while, Gorilla would come out and wrestle. Yeah. Like every, like, ten years. Yeah. Come out in his old school King Kong Bundy outfit. Yeah. And try and do a spoon. <laughs> Gorilla Monsoon, man. Oh, my God. Those are golden years. Oh, man. That's that's when life was simple, man. Life was great. <laughs> um, all right. So, uh, the election is over. Donald Trump is the president. Uh, we're not going to talk too much po- uh, politics here, but... Yeah, he's a friend of Woody's song. After, after, <laughs> after watching The Apprentice a few years back, I would have never thought this could have been possible. Well, you never would have thought Arnold Schwarzenegger would have been the governor of California either. Or Jesse, or Jesse Ventura being the governor you know, of Minnesota. I just think the establishment was fed up, and good luck. Be careful what you wish for. It should be a wild ride, and we'll see what happens. Now, you were at the fight. Uh, you were at the fight Saturday night, so you did not see Saturday Night Live. And I don't typically watch Saturday Night Live anyway. Dave Chappelle's on But her- Dave Chappelle was on oh, Saturday man, Night Live. It, man. Now, he is he is brilliant. He is edgy. Was he funny this time? He he was funny, but he was also touching at the same time, oh, you know? Wow. You know, and Chappelle, I think, can make people feel uncomfortable, too. Yeah. You know? You know what I'm saying? Get him, Jasper. It's about the the, the Chappelle show. He can get. He can go into that sketch comedy. Yes, and he can go places that other people. So where did he go? Do I need to go back and watch it? Was it that? You have to watch it open. Yes. Yeah. He ended it. I will say this: that he ended it with that, basically saying that um, black people have been disenfranchised for a long time, and what he basically said was, you know, I'm willing to give you a chance if you're willing to give us a chance. He said that at the end, but he had some jokes and yeah. and he had some skits in there <laughs> that I never thought would be on NBC. Ah, okay. So yes, you have to watch. It. I got to check it out. Yeah, Dave but should... you know what? Comedians have always had a place, I think, in the healing of a country because they can make they can take these uncomfortable topics and yeah. they can make them lighthearted. 
but still get the point through at the same time. You know who does a great job of that is Chris Rock. I yeah. think he's the best in really bringing p- politics and what's going on in society now to the stage. Everybody can't do that. Everybody can't be like Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart doesn't really bring any social issues because I don't know if he's willing to offend anybody and really turn off anybody from the fan base, but Chris Rock has always done that seamlessly and where people still get the message and they feel, you know, entertained and not offended at the same time. Now, I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Kim Martin from Newsday, a good reporter who covers the Jets Daily, caught up with Brandon Marshall about it, and she said they're basically talking about social issues right now. And Brandon, uh, again, I'm paraphrasing, but he said that I think sometimes guys feel like pressure now to have a stance on everything when it shouldn't be that way. You as a former athlete and as a guy out there all the time, how do you feel about that? Because we grew up, we're talking about the 80s. We grew up early 90s, late 80s. Michael Jordan was always the guy that they get on all the time who, who never said anything. Never Tiger, said, Tiger, Tiger Woods never said anything. Kobe Bryant never said right. anything. And now it seems like there's been a shift yeah. where people are saying, you have to take a stance on something. And I want to get your view on that because my thing is, and I'm not an athlete, but I think Brandon's right on that, is that if you don't know enough about something, right. you should not have the uh, feel uneducated, like uh, uneducated. You have opinion. the responsibility right. to take a stance on everything. There right. should be some things that you definitely should have opinions about, and everybody should have freedom of speech. But I almost feel like there's too much weight being yeah. put on some people in the public eye. Well, I think if you don't feel comfortable answering something, I think you should be able at least to articulate that. Like, listen, I don't know enough about that. I'm still learning about it. I'm researching. I think that's fine. But to say you have nothing to say, I think you can't go out there because people, too many people look up to you. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, you know, you talk about being a leader and a role model. Well, people want to know what you think and how they should react because a lot of times they react on how you react, you know, because they believe in you and they trust in your opinion. You know what I mean? No different from you believing in your pastor or you believing in in anybody that you look up as a role model. You know, back in the day, it used to be that way. People look to Jim Brown. People look to uh, Luel Cinder. People look to these type of athletes because they knew that they were on the forefront. And, you know, af- athletics has a different, you know, stance in life because you may not like, you know, you, I mean, I'm assuming, you know, and, and I'm not, it may not be correct, but I'm assuming that a lot of people that are bigoted and racist, you know, still cheer for a black athlete if he's helping his football team. I'm assuming that, too. And, 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 yeah. You know what I'm saying? Or helping his team yeah. win. You know, he's a good whatever. Right. You know what I mean? But, you know, sports have always been on the forefront of edgy issues in, in society. You talk about, you know, the uh, first gay player. You talk about the first black player. You talk about the, a lot of firsts was in sports. Right. And then I think it gave society, um, it gave society the the liberty to, to, to accept it as well because these strong athletes, how can you not accept something that your hero accepts? So if, if, if white players were comfortable with playing with Jackie Robinson and standing up for him and his rights and it helped ease the tension, you know, we all have stereotypes about each other, but sports have always been an equalizer because we only have one goal. And I think, you know, whether you're Republican or Democrat, it still should be one goal. It should be what's best for the people and what's best for the country. And until we can put our political parties aside 
and quit trying to do it our way and understand that we have to work with each other and, and, and appreciate other people's points of views, we, we can't take the next step. But we can't act like, you know, things aren't the way they are. But and we have to we have to talk about it. We have to have a conversation, an open, honest conversation. And you still can believe what you believe. I still can believe what I believe. But we got to say, OK, how can we find common ground and b start building from there? How, how do you as a successful young black man i'm still calling you young i hope i'm uh, all right getting up there uh, uh, got um, about another year before you guys stop uh, calling uh, me young. And, a, and a guy who, who grew up from detroit and you've lived in different areas you yeah. lived in baltimore obviously you've spent a lot of time up here in the new york area as well uh, uh, uh you know and i know this is a big topic but how, how do you view race uh, relations in the country right now i think i think you know i think uh this election proved you know, what I believe a lot of black athletes, black people believed anyway. We already knew. No black person or minority was, was I believe, shocked by the outcome of the election, and even with all the things that were said, you know, all the racist, monogenous, I think I'm just messed, I just butchered that word, monogenous, uh, bigoted type yeah. of statements, you know, separate, you yeah. know, I think the politics is about separating the country. Uh, I think it just brought it to the forefront. It brought the conversation up, and at least we know. And now other people know. I think that's what some of the outrage is about, that people... You don't think people were aware of... Uh, just of, how deep it was. Yeah. Like, you know, but you know, I don't think people were, were, were as aware of just how deep this stuff goes. And, you know, for the same thing that happened, I believe, when Barack ran, you know, people wanted change, something different. I think people in rural America wanted the same. Yeah. And they found a, a candidate that they thought would speak to them and what was best for them, and, and they voted on it. And the people that, you know, came out and voted the other way before didn't come out because they weren't inspired. Yeah. You know, so, you know, listen, I'm willing, go ahead, take your shot. Right. You know, if the people that voted for Donald Trump um, believe in him, and let's see. You know, but for me it's hard to believe that a man that always had his own self-interest at heart for 70 years can change and start thinking about other people first. You know, that's tough, but I hope he can because I think we need it. Yeah, yeah. And, but and I think that I wouldn't, put, I wouldn't hold my breath and bet on it. And, and hopefully uh, the rhetoric, as you said, gets better across everything, yeah, dude. But, I'm, not, I'm talking social platforms, yeah. the way people even talk about the presidency. I believe that, uh, and this is not a nobody political watch, thing. No, nobody in Washington is working together. Nobody's working together. Right. Like, you know, just because you have a, you know, just because you're a, a one party don't mean you can't cooperate. It's like, it's almost like if one party has a president and the other party wants that party to fail. Yeah. It's like, that's not the way like, it's supposed that, to yeah, be. That's not the best. That's not the way it's supposed yeah, to be. You're always going to work. work with people with different views than you. And like, you go back, <clears throat> uh, you know, Ronald Reagan and uh, Tip O'Neill. Right, Tip O'Neill was uh, the leader of the Democrats at the time, but and Ronald Reagan was a very conservative Republican who got a lot of things done and a lot of things accomplished. But that's because they worked together and they worked with both of their parties. Man, you got to do that. I mean, I mean dude, like, let's, let's we, this is a sports show. Yeah. Let's talk about Goodell and um, Demore Smith. Yeah. Like, come on, man. Like, we're not getting stuff done. Right. You know what I mean? Like, we have to work together. You know, for the good of the game, and no different than you know, we have to work together for the good of the country. You know, but the thing is, you can't, you can't speak the way you speak during your campaign and think that you can just talk softer and say, oh, Obama's a, a nice man, or say, 
oh, Hillary's a pleasant woman. She fought hard and think that all is going to be forgiven because now to us or to me, that's the act. Yeah. During your campaign when the stakes were high, that was the real you. So you can't come back and say, no, we're going to work together. No, it, it doesn't work that way because that's the, that's the whole thing, especially when you talk about minorities. That's what they're used to seeing. They're used to people hiding behind their racist views and then acting like they get along. Then as soon as you're out of their face, they talk bad about you. See, but Donald Trump did a reverse. He talked bad about you. Now he's trying to take it back. But now you've already exposed and showed who you are, what you believe in, and core principles. And now you're trying to take it back, and you can't. So it's just going to be one of those things, man. Unfortunately, I would like the country to get together, but I think we're more separated than ever. Oh, boy. All right. So let's talk. I'm moving to Canada, man. Let's talk sports. Our, our <laughs> next show is from Canada, man. Uh, three and seven, uh, Jets uh, by. Uh, just real quickly, Bart, what does the coaching staff have to do now before they get some much needed time off? I remember when you played here under Rex, everybody always used to talk about the coaching staff would always come together during this week and self-scout. Yep, that's what it's all about. So what does that mean? This is the first time for you to take a deep breath, self-scout, see what we do well, what we do wrong, and focus on what we do well and and do more of that and try and improve what you do bad. And I think the Jets have to take a a look at how other teams view them, do a self-scouting report as if they were their own opponent, and say, okay, if I was going against this team, this unit, what would I do against it? And, you know, now you figure out that, so, you know, self-awareness. Now you go back and you're trying to prove that and throw some things out if they need to be thrown out, change some game planning things, change some tendencies up. If you have some telling, telling tendencies, to be it uh, formations, be it down a distance, um, places on the field, because how do you go from being one of the best red zone offenses to being one of the worst? Mm. You know, it's because teams have scouted you and see what you like to do in the red zone. So now you have to adjust. That's the thing about, you know, sports. You always have to be able to to counter. You know what I mean? Because, you know, it's very few teams that can go in and say, this is what we do. Stop it. Yeah. A lot of us, they adjust, you adjust. It's a chess match. And I think the Jets have to really figure out what their next moves are. But playing for pride, people always say that. And I had a discussion with somebody, and they said, I don't know if you want to say it. You know, uh, I don't know how athletes feel about playing for pride, but I talked to Tony Richardson about this this week at Mount Life Stadium. He said, you're always playing for pride. You always play for pride. You want to play for the playoffs. You want to win this ultimate goal. But you're always – that's always there, right? I've always played for the respect of my peers. Right. Um, that never is, changes. Which, which is basically pride. So what happens is um, when you're in this situation, and it's going to sound weird, but, you know, you stop playing so much for the name in front of the jersey – as the name in the back, right? Because at the end of the day, you want to say, man, when people say Bart Scott, what do they think? You know, right now it's hard to think about, okay, the Jets, right? You want to think about yourself because now at this point, a lot of people think about self-preservation. They're like, man, you know, we, we had a losing season. A lot of us are going to get fired. So what you want to do, you want to put great film out there so that you can survive, so that you can still have an opportunity to play. So now you want to make sure you represent yourself. You want to make sure that in an adverse situation, you rose to the cage and you didn't succumb to your circumstances. That now you have to make sure that you even work even harder. So when people say, like, man, this dude is playing his butt off. He's playing hard. He has nothing to play for. Yes, I do. I have to play for my brand. I'm playing for my name on my back, the people that support me, the people that believe in me, to say that he's not a guy that quits. He's not a quitter. Anybody can play hard and be a front runner. 
But you find out a lot about people when you hit adversity, how do they respond? Do they succumb to their circumstances? Do they give in to it? Or do they rise up and say, I'm, beyond, I'm greater than my circumstances? And we were talking about it before. This is a great opportunity for a lot of young players because you as an organization have to find out exactly what you have here man. heading into 2017 and beyond. As a young, as a young player, man, I'm like, yo. <laughs> I, you know, I might not have got this opportunity. Robbie Anderson, you know, Decker's healthy. You know, may not have got this opportunity. You in the middle of a playoff run, you right. may not have got that. But now you got an opportunity to put good film out there, not only for the Jets but for everybody in the NFL, so you can continue your dream. Um, t- what do you think about Petty? Uh, I know it's a small sample size, and he made his first career start. But is there anything you can take away from that? You were. Uh, at the NFL Today uh, studio, you watch our game a little bit and things like that. Is there, is there much you can take away from uh, just watching him in one start? I thought he was poised for the most part. I didn't think he, like, uh, ran out of there, you know, took a bunch of unnecessary sacks. You know, I think he just was inaccurate. I think, uh, you know. He said, and you saw him do it a couple times where he. Over-anxious, th- over-gripping the ball. Well, yeah, and at times maybe he was overthinking it because he would double clutch. Yeah, he's afraid of, to believe what he see because but, what happens is you have you have practice speed, game speed. So he's been practicing against his own team, and he sees in practice speed. Now he's in a real game, and now he's going against people that he don't know. He don't know the defense that they run. When he go against the guys on his team, he sees this defense all the time, so he understands what they're doing, who does what. But now he's going against a team that he doesn't know who's who, and they're playing at a different speed. So now his eyes and his process has to go greater because in practice you don't get hit. In this game, you know, you get hit and, and it can hurt. So now that slows his process down. He becomes over-anxious. He throws the ball, you know, too much juice on it, not enough touch because he's speeding up his process in his head. So now, you know, for young players, you have to try and slow the game down. And I think for him, it's, it's, you know, for him, it is no bye week. He needs to be in here. Yeah. He, he can't take a vacation. He needs to catch up so he can show a, 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 he can represent himself better than he did this week and show improvement what, and make sure that he's going to make the same mistakes that he made last week. What would you like to see uh, from the Jets when they come back? Well, we can talk about it next week, but just real quickly is Todd Bowles after the game said that he's not going to commit to a quarterback right now. We're going to have to see how Ryan Fitzpatrick continues to heal up. I'm going to evaluate the film uh, from Bryce just – you maybe taking a fan's perspective or an analyst, analysis uh, perspective on this, would you like to see Petty again uh, when the Jets come back to play against the Patriots? I mean, I think it's safe to say that Ryan Fitzpatrick won't be a quarterback next year. Um, so you might as well see what you have. You know, um, Evaluate what you have, see what pieces you want to keep, who you can build around, who's a couple years away from being a major contributor. And you only do that by letting young guys play. And, you know, veterans don't like that because they, they say, see that you're uh, maybe giving up on a season. But every season isn't going to end in a winning season. Nobody has, you know, winning seasons every year. But what can be done is getting an identity and establishing an identity, establishing a level of play, a commitment to a certain type of style, a certain type of effort. And you only get that sometimes by letting young guys play. You know what I mean? Because the, the the reality is the young guys are cheap. So if they can produce at the same level or somewhat close to some of the veteran players, then it gives you cap flexibility to go out and find your elite players at certain positions. 
You got any surprise questions for David Harris? This is an interview that we all eagerly anticipate to watch on Jet Life and on NewYorkJets.com well, as well. I'm just, just going to inform him that I don't want any two answers, two 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 word answers, you know. But you know, me and David has has a great relationship. We had a great playing relationship. We still maintain contact, you know, after after um, you know our playing days. So he's uh, one people, of the, some people inside the building actually said that uh, you uh, he was more chatty than you actually inside the meeting rooms at times. Is that true? Well, I can get it out of him. I can, you know, I can make him like talk crap. You yeah. know what I mean? Joke a little bit. You know, him and BT, we had a good room that was able to, we were close. We were a close group. So we were able to, to, to inspire Dave to speak more because, you know, I always had something to say. So he, he got tired of me talking, so he started talking back. All right. Well, we're looking forward to that. Have a good week, brother. Appreciate it. You, you get that uh, infection cleaned up. Yeah. yeah.